0: I'd like you to open your Bible this morning, the book of Acts, chapter 26. We were there last week. I thought I was through, but I had some more things to share from what we started last week. And I want to do that today. The title we gave last week was Will There Be Peace in Your Valleys? And peace is a wonderful subject. It's important to God that you have peace. It really is. It's important to God. The word peace is defined by freedom from agitation. And I promise you that all of you in here fare much better in life when you're not agitated. When your mind is not tossed from this way to that way and all the uncertainties that go with being tossed around, when you don't have that, you do a whole lot better. You look better. You sound better. You do better. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because that's the state you're going to find yourself in on the other side. God is a God of peace. So we're here in a world full of consternation, aggravation, difficulty, uncertainty, apprehension, stress, and on and on and on. That's the conditions, the circumstances we live in now. Do you have peace? today, in your life, right now, about today and tomorrow? Is there peace? Are you not uncertain this morning about what you're going to do? Are you not doing well? Or are you at peace? Have you found the secret, if you want to call it that, to peace? Because you will go through valleys. You say, I rebuke that. I'm not confessing any valleys. Okay, how about tribulation? Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. You can't rebuke that. But tribulation is what valleys are. It's the time of the sifting when the devil does his work in your life. And he will either sift you successfully or you will overcome him successfully. And when you overcome, you have peace. And when you have a knowledge in your heart of what you believe, you'll have peace before things start. You don't like what goes on, but you will conquer it. You will conquer because you, like Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. Now, that's the key to peace. Let's go back where we were last week. In Acts chapter 26, we began in verse 13 and we read through verse 18. This is Paul's testimony about Acts 9 when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus to aggravate, to kill and imprison Christians. He was not a very nice man. On that road, Jesus in a bright light came to him, actually blinded him, and spoke to him. And these are the things that Jesus said to Paul. We would never choose him to do God's work. But this is what God said that Paul would do. He said he would do three things. One, he said he would open their eyes in verse 18. Now... We know that He can't open them, but God will anoint Him and His words. And His words will cause people to see what they have not been able to see before. Their eyes will be opened to behold the truth. Now, that doesn't mean you're converted or that you're saved. It just means that you're aware of now what's going on. Secondly, He said to turn them from darkness to light. It's a revelation to any lost person. A revelation when they can see the state that they're in, that they are literally walking through life, grasping at whatever they can get a hold of, hoping it works. They're walking in darkness because they really don't know where they're going. If you ask a man in the world, what will your future be at the end of your life? What kind of door will be open to you when you die? When it's over, what's next? Is it just this life? Do we just have consciousness now and then when we die, we evaporate and never were, and there was nothing? Or is there something else? Very few people think about that. But when you die, what will happen after you die? Well, after your funeral is over, because everybody at the funeral is preached into heaven. But after the funeral service is over, what will you do when you meet God? But when you see the darkness that you're in, Many of us have. I hope all of you have. When you see that the way you're living is a way of darkness, and God opens your eyes again to see His light, His provisions, it begins to change what you're able now to do concerning eternity. You couldn't do anything about it before. You can now. Because the third thing He said, from the power of Satan to God... Because the devil does rule in every heart that is lost. Every lost person is ruled by the devil. Ephesians 2, Paul spoke of that. He said that with the spirit of disobedience is lodged in every person who is unsaved. We didn't realize that. We would never admit that. Because nobody likes to admit that such a thing could be in me. Or that I could be wrong. But it's true. We were all under the sway and the power of darkness. And the devil. And his goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy, whether you, your money, your finances, or your family, your children, whatever he can, to disrupt your whole life and make your brief time on this earth as miserable as possible. Jesus said in that same 18th verse You do these three things, and this is what will happen. They shall receive an inheritance, and they shall be forgiven. As I stand here today remembering some things I said last week, I cannot think of anything in my life that has more meaning than the fact that many years ago, every wrong, ugly thing that I ever did that I could not undo. I could not go back and undo certain sins and vile things. I could not recapture words I spoke that were so offensive to God. I could not go back and get it and bring it back as though I never said it. I couldn't say, I take it back. They were said, they were done, the deeds had been ministered, and there I stood. And God, in a moment, wiped the entire slate clean as though I never did anything. Maybe that's the reason some of us who are a little older than some of you who have been forgiven so much, you cannot forget how dark our back life was, the life before Christ, that we have been wiped clean. The idea of ever getting so disgusted in this life that I turned back to that life is not even an issue. Couldn't do it. Because there's nothing to go back to but death. And yet everything in me that deserved death was forgiven. Was forgiven. As though I had never, ever done it. Every ugly word, every vile deed, every awful thing was forgiven could it be better than that it could be worse remember jesus said if you will not forgive from your heart anybody and everybody that has ever been offensive to you you're not forgiven that's matthew 18 verse 38 i think he said if you will not from your heart forgive then god will not forgive you either verse 35 Jesus said, When you stand praying, forgive. It's a big deal with God. Right after the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You've got to forgive. Mark eleven, twenty four, our faith verse. What things ever you desire, when you pray, believe, you receive them, you shall have them. Well, the very next verse says, And when you stand praying, forgive. For Jesus said, If you will not forgive, whoever for whatever, you are not forgiven. He will not forgive you. That means that no matter how hurt we have been in our life, how wrong we have been done, the people that have wronged us, done us wrong, evil influences, molestation, rape, robbery, whatever has been done, taken advantage of, cheated on, lied to, your wife or your husband, your children did this or that, you got to forgive them. One of the great Americans in the Constitution era, one of the founding fathers, as they call it today, one of the men who was involved in the Constitution at the very beginning of this country, one of the good ones, one of the really good, moral, ethical men of that day, one of the very, very few of the moral and ethical men was John Adams. He had four children, he and Abigail, and one of their, their youngest didn't turn out so well. It was one of his older brothers that gave him some money to invest for him while he went on a trip. And he used that money, squandered it, left his wife, became a drunkard. And John Adams sold Abigail, he said, I will never forgive him. That's how much damage can be done in situations where, like in your family, your children did you wrong, shamed your name, or shamed you and your wife or your mother or whoever. And we're so accustomed to things being different than that. We don't have that happen very often. It's hard to forgive. The wife who cheated on her husband. The husband who cheated on his wife. So many things in this life that are so offensive, that aggravate us, bring deep resentments. We just find we're so hurt that we can't get over it. That's why we keep talking about it. That's why you have bad things to say about people all the time. That's why you speak evil or down about other people. That's why we gossip. That's why we backbite. That's why we tailbear, even in the church, because we haven't forgiven people. I saw a little bit the other day in a place that L.L. Bean, the clothing manufacturer, a group in the country has protested them for 80 years. I don't know what L.L. Bean did. The CEO didn't either. But for 80 years, a group of people in this country have not forgotten When you don't forget, you don't forgive. Well, if you don't forget, you don't forgive. See, forgiveness is when you let go of people. There's not a soul in this room that hadn't been done wrong. You know, I told you that last week. We've all been wronged. It seems like wrong is looking for us. But you must forgive. What greater offense was when Jesus hung on a cross Can you imagine a greater offense? That God in a body was treated like He was. Hung on a cross. And as He was dying, as His natural life was seeping out of His body, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Stephen, as he was being stoned, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. It seems that in all the ones... That God has. There's this willingness to forgive. A few years ago, the Amish children over in Lancaster were killed by a a man who had no reason to do it. And all these little girls were shot and killed. And the only thing you heard from these Amish people was forgiveness. And America stood by and went horror. and said, how can you forgive? You've got to get even. No. Vengeance belongs to God. We have to trust God that He will take care of these things in His time, in His way. It is for us to forgive and to move on with our lives. Corey Tin Boom, most of you have heard of Corey Tin Boom. She once said that forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that that prisoner was you. Everybody who holds resentment against somebody else is held captive by the somebody else. The wife who can't get over what the husband did and continually gnashes her teeth is a slave to that because it conquers her, it controls her, it rules her emotions and her passions. Unforgiveness is a terrible thing. Not only does it lead to difficulty in this life, but it disqualifies you for the next one. It does. It disqualifies you. That's Mark 11, 25, and 26. See, there is no love for those of you that have been harmed and hurt in your life, and you can still remember clearly in the pain of something wrong that was done. There is no love without forgiveness, and there is no forgiveness without love. You'll have to face up to it. You can't do anything about what's been done to you. You can harm the person that harmed you and sense that you're even now, but it's still in your heart. You have a murderer's heart. You want to hurt people. And you have to be honest with yourself, realize that you can't change what has been done, but you can face up to it. You can roll your weight or your cares over on the Lord, forgive people, and be free. Now, you'll never forget what happened. There will always be a scar in those sensitive places in our past where we had hard times. And any of you that have a scar on your body know that when you touch it in a certain way, it's sensitive. But the thing about it is, if we cannot forgive, then we are not forgiven. The great separator between man and God is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is sin. Sin is transgression against God who has taught His people if you have been forgiven, you must also forgive as you have been forgiven. If God forgave you everything, you forgive others the same way. You've got to forgive your wife or your husband or your children. And believe it or not, some of us, I could think back early in my life, I realized one day that I had harbored some form of resentment against God because I remember saying one time in prayer if I was you I wouldn't let this go on like this if I had what you got I would I kept my eyes. and I realized not wanting to praise the Lord as much as I did not wanting to witness as much as I used to I had a thing against God I felt like he didn't do me fair it wasn't right to what he did I actually had a resentment against the almighty I had to forgive he hadn't done me wrong but I perceived in my mind that he had. And I had to be willing to say, I'm sorry, but Lord forgive me for such a vile thought. But I wonder how many Christians today have some form of unforgiveness against God whom they felt like didn't treat them fair. And your life is an example of it this morning. There's no pop in it. There's no excitement. You feel like you're in a dead rut. It could go back to that. That you believe that God did you wrong, just as others believe others did them wrong. And you gotta forgive. Now, today, another thing that is a robber of peace, very common, as common as unforgiveness, and it robs so many people of peace because it's the antithesis or the opposite of peace, is anxiety. Anxiety and worry. Angst, A-N-G-S-T. Angst. We don't use that word so much, so I won't either. But worry. The root word for our Bible word worry simply refers to vex or to trouble. A lot of people get vexed and troubled about a lot of things. We don't know what we're going to do about certain information that came our way. A certain pain in your body. The news broadcast forecasts some ominous thing that's coming. And you begin to perceive that it's going to come on you. And if you didn't have that job with all the bills you've accumulated and all the things you well, oh, I can handle that, I can pay that, I can pay, I make enough. And one day you realize by this ominous broadcast that you're probably going to lose your job and you can't pay any of your bills. Oh. And people begin to worry they begin to be anxious or as jesus said they begin to take thought worry is a mental word it means to be tossed in different directions to be distracted in your mind merendio it's a thing that causes the biggest drug seller in america the drug companies love this because they sell drugs over stress uncertainty confusion I don't know what I'm going to do. What's going to happen? We begin to be affected physically. We get headaches or we get other kind of pains that are due to this or that. We get affected emotionally. We get affected mentally. We get affected in so many other ways. Behaviorally. We begin to act funny. We begin to fret. I remember one day we got a phone call. I did that one of the brothers in our church was having a heart attack. Oh, man, no, no, no. I ran and got in the car and went over there, and there were other Christians already there, and, and this, this heaving and pain in the chest and down the arm. And then it all subsided. Well, we praised God because we prayed and realized later it was called an anxiety attack. The things build up in your life. Things accumulate. Things for which you have no solution. Literally. I don't care how much church you've been into, that doesn't mean you believe what you hear. You might have been given all the things you need to cope with anxiety, but it doesn't mean you'll use it. How many of you know that a preacher cannot make you learn? And if you have learned something, cannot make you apply it. Can't do it. If you don't apply it, it's a choice you made. If it was up to me, you would have applied it. But if you don't, it's because you chose not to. Or when you heard it, it didn't have much effect upon your life to where you really could trust it, and therefore you're not sure that'll work. Man, if I throw away my aspirin and this pain comes back, I don't know if I can go through all of this. See, you haven't conquered the whole thing yet. You've got to wrestle with it. But you're unsure. You're unsettled. You're uncertain. And therefore you have anguish. You have these things that bother you. Health cost. How many people are troubled today in America about health cost? The reality is, when you're walking by faith, as some of us do, you're walking on a very narrow, little thin line. And on this side of the line is disaster. And on this side of the line is disaster. See, you have chosen to trust God. There's no health insurance. There's no life insurance. And you're bombarded by people and commercials and advertisements. Oh, what would you do if? What would you do if? And all of that is designed by the devil to make you uncertain, to give you something other than what God said to think about me. What if God doesn't come through? What are you going to do then? What if this problem you're going through becomes chronic to where you can't be healed? What if the condition gets worse to where it can't be fixed? Now what are you going to do? That's why a lot of people said while I go get in trouble with the Lord. They don't think it's fair. The truth is that people get anxious and they worry and they fret. One accident, one illness can cost you everything and more than you ever had and will ever have for the rest of your life. One day in an average hospital is more than one day in a resort. One day in a cold, green and white hospital room, cost you more, I don't know where else you'd go. Two or three thousand dollars a day, in some cases, maybe less in other places, with all the machines and the gadgets in there. I remember the day my dad died, the day that they came in and he was dead, he has a $35 fee for visitation. That sounded like a pretty good occupation. Occupation. It's kind of cold, kind of artificial, and you begin to see that, and it all begins to build up in your life. What if I had to go through this? What would happen to my wife if? What would ha- what would we do if? Oh, what what are we going to do if? Well, I mean, <sighs> what what are we going to do? I don't know. We can't afford it. Do- I mean, we don't have enough money. To do that, but what if I lose this job? What are we going? How are we going to pay for? I don't know. What are we going to do? See, I would say, have you ever been here before? Have you ever been to a meeting here? How many of you have been to a meeting here before? <laughs> have you ever heard, having been here before, that you have promises? Amen. That God has supplied all, all your need? That He will supply all your need? That God knows what you need? need before you ask him have you ever heard that in your life well then why are you fretting well i've got all these bills you haven't been here before who told you to get all them bills other than necessary ones for light and cool air and water who told you to go accumulate all the other bills who told the people building these $10 million churches to build a $10 million? Did God say to do that? Then when trouble comes, oh, what are we going to do? We'll get the city to pay for it. Some cases. Whatever happened to just believe in the simple message that God gave to live a simple life? Our being here this morning is not to try to change this community. Jesus did not tell Paul when he fell on the ground on the road to Damascus. Now, Paul, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be a church builder. Well, he was. he's an apostle. I'm going to show you great ways to increase the numbers in churches. You're going to be the best at producing new programs to excite people that has ever been known. And all the churches that you start are going to be called happy churches because the people are always going to be told to be happy. Now, You know what? He didn't tell him nothing like that. What we're doing is very simple. We meet. We gather together. Forbid not the assembling of yourself. What for? We come together to try to dream up something new to do. No, we assemble together to worship God. Make an attempt at it. To worship God. To hear the Word. At least try to hear it. To share in fellowship. We do that. Some do it better than others, but to fellowship. What else do we need to do? What else exceeds that? Out of that kind of an atmosphere, God raises up this one to do this. He'll inspire this one. The Word has an effect this way, and people begin to be inspired to do a lot of things. It's not organized Church It's just people that are inspired to go. Go to the prisons, go to the hospitals, go to this, go there. Go a lot of places. Witness on the streets. Go to other countries. I mean, do a lot of things. That's the work of God. That's what we do. Hello. That's what we do. Now, when you get to the place where you start worrying about that stuff, you get anxious about that, it means that you're setting aside the Word of God. don't think everybody worries about it but when you do worry about it how many preachers have worried about a lack of attendance attendance is falling off that means that signals some new program or some new slant that's not the gospel that's not the gospel it is God who adds to the church it is God who will keep them in the church amen we get so anxious we worry about so many things Worry about aging. A lot of people worry about the aged time in their life. What are we going to do? We don't even have a porch to sit on. You know, the Bible said God will renew you. Have you ever been here? Have you all ever been here before? Is this your first time? Well, I'll praise God for all of you that are first-timers. But did not God make a promise for the old age? He said He will renew your youth. He didn't say He'll make you younger but He will renew you so that everything He's given you to do, you will be able to do it. But you don't have to be impaired and down and out and uncertain because God will deliver you from all these things. He's given us that. You don't have to be over the hill and worry about that. Oh, Brother Tom, you're over the hill. Well, if I am, the good is on the other side of it. And you're concerned about being over a hill. I don't even know what hill that would be. All we have to do is know the will of God. And then make application of it by faith. Because you see, the solution to all anxiety, all your worrying, the things you fret over and argue with your wife over, and you can't just make you aggravated and harsh on your kids, is anxiety, worry. Care. You get stressed out. (laughs) You get so inverted when you worry. You become so in your own little kingdom that anything in this little kingdom that doesn't suit you you gets your wrath. I'm worried about these things. Leave me alone. Any little noise, any little loudness from the kids, any kind of little thing that doesn't go your way and you just lose it. You shouldn't be like that. You have no peace. You're not a peaceful person. Your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. Your children know it. Your parents know it. You're not a peaceful person. You could be. Have you ever been here? Have you ever heard any of you, any of you, ever once in your life that you can have the victory in life? Then why in this world do we not see it? In all of us. Is it not a problem with faith? Do we not fret about other people? Do we not stress ourselves out because we do not know what we can have or what God will do? Is it not because we're uncertain whether or not God will do it? He may, he said he would, but I don't know. Look at how many he didn't do it for. Uh, you know, that one over there died and that one, you know, over there broke, got broke and they got sued and you know, and how do you know what won't happen to you? That's what your friends out there in the world tell you. Good friends. The kind of people you ought to hang around all the time so you can come in here and, and try to undo it every week. <laughs> people are stressed about things. Martha. Martha. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you're encumbered about so much. You're worrying about potatoes. You're bothered about whether or not you're going to have enough potatoes. You're worried about whether or not your potatoes will be better than Aunt Gertrude's potatoes. (laughs) I mean, you're ranked up there pretty high. You got to keep that rank. What will people think if your potatoes weren't just the right texture? And you put a fork in it, fork should come out. If you put a fork in it, potato comes out, no good. No good. Martha, Martha. You know what Jesus told her the solution to that was? In Luke chapter 10, you know what he told her? The solution was to do what Mary was doing. Her sister, Mary, sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him as he spoke, because worry comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the world. And the solution to what the world tells you is the opposite that God tells you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to be able to cope in life and please God to live the way He wants you to live, you need to make application of what He says. You gotta find out what he says. You gotta be there when he says it. If he doesn't speak today audibly through the ceilings and the wall, he sends people. So you gotta seek the law of the Lord at their mouth, as he said in Malachi. You gotta see your need for it. If you don't see your need for it, you will do my next point. You'll neglect it. You'll let it go. Don't need it. Doesn't work anyway. But if you see your need for it, to see that your little world is not real good. Your Christian testimony is of no influence. You fret, you fly off a handle, you're you're just ticky and tight, and your kids are scared of you. Your wife's afraid to talk to you, or your husband's afraid to say something to you because you're What a Christian testimony. Have you ever been here? How many years have we been here? We've been in this building for 19 years. We probably paid for it twice. (laughs) If you'd want it. What a place God would send us to hear His Word. But that's what Jesus said Mary chose. To hear the words of Jesus. Because that is the only thing that God watches over to perform. It's nothing else. It's not what the psychologist said about this or that. Or well, let your kids scream and yell. It's good for them. Hogwash. It's not good for me. <laughs> it's not good for mom or dad. But you do it God's way. You listen as Mary did to what she said. Then you can be relieved from what Martha did. Martha was a woman of the world. Miss whatever. Mary was a right-winger. She just wanted to sit there and hear the Bible, hear the Word of God. And the world's going to a bad place in a handbasket, and you're just going to listen to the Word. Pretty much so, yeah. Because God said it was going to that bad place. didn't say anything about a handbasket, but He did say the world would perish. And He did say that His Word was not only medicine to our flesh, but was light. And He said in John 1, the light is light. Now, I need life. I want to know that when I get up tomorrow, I can make it. I want to know that whatever way the devil sticks his head in my life, I want to know that there's an instant response in my heart of something the Spirit of God gives me, a sword that I can fight Him with because I do not have to lose. God did not make me to lose. He did not. He told me to win. Simon, Simon, behold, the devil hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, what? That your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. He was believing he would be converted or turned. So he told him, you strengthen your brothers. See, whatever God says is what God will do. Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man that he should repent or Take it back or turn around. If he said it, he will do it. Now, for any problem, every problem, whatever yucky thing you're going through today, and I'm not trying to make light of anxiety attacks or anxious moments because they're real. I'm just saying that the Word of God is just as real. If you had as much time spent with that as you do with the uncertainties in your mind, you'd get the victory. Because God is not a man that He should lie nor the son of man that He should repent. Here's what God said, If He said it, He'll do it. If He said it, He will do it. If He said it, He will do it. If He said it, He will do it. If He said it, He'll do it. If He said it, it. he it, He will do it. If He said it, he will do it. I don't know the other way to say it. If He said it, He will do it. What did He say? Well, read your Bible. There's 8,000 promises. Have you all ever been here? Amen. Have you ever heard a promise mentioned before? Amen. Good. That's what He will do. He will heal you from all your diseases. He will crown you. Renew you. Protect you preserve you supply for you what are you looking for this morning all the things that people worry about oh it's going to snow Oh, if it's going to, we'd be to crawl under the bed and cover ourselves up it's snowing oh no there's a storm coming oh my go to the basement it's just raining I know but you never know People worry about so much. My mother told me once her grandmother, when a storm came through, they put all the fire and all the stoves. It didn't matter how cold it was, they put the fire out of the stove. They didn't have furnaces. They had wood stoves, one in the kitchen, one in the living room. The only heat in the house was in those two rooms, unless you had a fireplace in a room. You could heat a brick at night and put it in your bed, with, covered it up with burlap or something, and you could put your feet on it and try and keep your feet warm for a while. They didn't have heat in the room. So whenever some kind of storm or something came, they put all the fire because of the fear that the house burned down. See, fear goes with anxiety. Anxious fear. People didn't know any better. They went to church, some little church somewhere, and put in their little time and all of that, but nothing ever came out of it that made them victorious in life. Worrying. You worry about your children being normal. Oh, they haven't had a date in three years. I wonder if they're normal. Ha 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 to you. You'd be surprised what parents worry about. Well, he doesn't even drink. How's he going to be one of the good old boys if he doesn't get out there and jump off the bridge under Gist Creek? I mean, you got to do stuff to prove you're normal, don't you? You out in the world know where Gist Creek Bridge is. That's okay. Half of you have jumped off of it in the middle of the night, and you don't know when you're going to hit the water. If God said it, He'll do it. If He spoke it, He'll make it good. Numbers 2319 Old Testament. If He said it, He'll do it. If He spoke it, He will make it good. What more do you need concerning anything the Bible says? If He said it, say it. He will do it. He will do it. Now you take whatever it is this morning. Take your light momentary affliction, whatever is troubling you so much, or whatever your tomorrows are about, or money, or job, or marriage, or being normal. Lay it before God. And watch it pale in light of His Word, for God makes all these provisions. How many of you young folks believe that God can actually, could possibly bring the right person into your life to be your mate? Well, don't you have to go look for one? And then once you find one, don't you have to kind of practice? You know, shouldn't you try a shoe on before you buy it? You'd be surprised the kind of ideas that people have. Then the guilt comes and follows that. It's a good way to enter into marriage, isn't it, with guilt? Can't you just trust the Lord? Don't you believe that God will supply your needs? If that's a need in your life, somewhere he's waiting on you, she's waiting on you. And one of these days, you're all like come you'll, you'll clash. you oh, ah! there he is. Oh, you're here. <laughs> Can you not... Leave that in the care of God to do that? And in the meantime, prepare yourself for when that happens by seeking first the kingdom? Or have you watched so much of the filth in the movies today that you have to get all involved romantically and rubbing and carrying on and kissing and hugging? You have to do that first. No wonder there's a lot of stress in people's lives. You go against the grain of God, things really don't go well. They don't go well for you. You're not a bad person, but things just don't go well for you. It doesn't have to be like that, folks. It doesn't have to be like that. I'll turn to John 14, verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your heart be what? Trouble. Let not your heart be troubled. Figuratively, the Greeks. Dictionary says, It is use of the mind to stir up into trouble. Anguish, in other words. Uncertainty. Ah, I, don't just, I, I wish I could just know. I just wish I could know. A lot of people reach the end of their life not even sure about their salvation. There's no peace going into that last moment. There's no smile on a lot of old people's faces today because they don't know what's going to happen to them. But you can. Because of these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. But he said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be tore up and full of anguish in your mind. You believe in God. There's faith again. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe. That's the key. That's the solution. Is to believe what God has said. Look at verse 27. He repeats it. Let not your heart be troubled. This is what he's saying. To be troubled is to be disturbed and all kinds of things like trepidation and fear conquer you and and you live like that. People can see it on your face. You're just stressed out. You can't smile. You try to smile and it's kind of like that. You think you're trying to make a face because it's not natural. You're smiling because it's socially proper to smile, but it's not a smile of peace. It's not a peaceful thing. You're going through a valley. You're going through a very difficult time. It is a stressful time. You keep being told about how bad the economy is. Another recession is coming. You didn't even remember the last one. It came through and went. You're working, aren't you? You're getting your bills paid, aren't you? Aren't you here getting your bills paid and you're working? And you're like, I ain't making a whole lot of money. Are you making money? Praise the Lord. You're going to do well. I pray that everybody here that works will do well. That's not why you're going to do well. You're going to do well because you do well. God will bless you like that. I just pray that He will. The world's falling apart. The Bible said it would fall apart. Darkness is coming when no man can work. Evil men and imposters and seducers are waxing worse and worse. It's not getting better out there. The government and the political situation is not good. You young folks here are finding this nation has tilted from capitalism into socialism. Very slowly falling into that. Things have changed so much, people have changed. Educational systems have changed. People no longer today know what is right or wrong. In fact, you're not supposed to know what's right or wrong. You let everybody make up their own mind about what's right or wrong. There's no respect for authority. There's no regard for morality. People are living together wanting to outlaw marriage, and in some cases they will. But that will happen. The Bible said it would. But while you're in the midst of it, and while you're living now in that atmosphere, as I said earlier... You can live in peace. Your peace is like a beacon of hope to everybody around you that has no peace. Instead of being stressed out, you got a smile on your face. They talk to you. They hear a good report. You're not negative. You're positive. Well, you know, I know things are not good in the world, but I have found the solutions to it, and I've been blessed with that. And I know in whom I have believed because that's what he said here. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe. That's what he said. You see, faith is what brings you from the written word, which comes from that word, which brings you into the reality. You go from, ah, to, ah. Peace in your heart doesn't mean there's no trouble around you. There's no trouble in your life. There's going to be trouble in your life. It doesn't mean that the forecast in the political world and then the media is not real. They are real. We don't deny that. It doesn't mean that sickness isn't everywhere and flu's coming and people are dying. It doesn't mean that that's not true. It is true. We're not denying all the things that the world talks about, all the things the world's afraid of. Countries are falling apart. Leaders are falling apart. Financial institutions are falling apart. Biggest corporations in the world are falling apart. I don't deny that. It is happening. People are losing their jobs out there and a lot of people are on welfare and we can't sustain that. I'm not denying that. I know that's true. All I'm saying is I'm not going to worry about it because God is in control of all of it. There is nothing outside of His control. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. God will take care of you. In every way, is that right? Through all the days or whatever, it sounds good. He will take care of you. God will take care of you, will he or not? People don't act like he will. Christians certainly don't act like he will. You gather around a lot of Christians in churches, they act like they've never heard a word of truth. They act like it. They talk about their sicknesses, their illnesses. They talk about a condition, their inability to pay for this, all their debt they have incurred, and we got to have this, and we can't do that. Education, I can't send our kids to college. Praise God. Might as well send a lot of them to a beer joint. Don't even get me there. If your kid wants to go to college, let them commute. Right, amen. amen. I don't think a co-ed dorm is real good. I remember the first time I went back to my alma mater... And there was a co-ed dorm, I thought, well, I don't know what co-ed means, but you don't mean boys and girls in the same dorm? Oh, yeah, different floors. (laughs) I'm glad that wasn't true 50 years ago. But what's it coming to? Who wants to say anything against it today? Christians are afraid to speak out for Christianity today for fear that they'll be called right-wingers. It's just a time like no other time. No wonder there's such stress. Men's hearts today are failing them for fear. Young people are dying of heart attacks. One senator said that in his district, back wherever state he was in, 6% of all people between 13 and 25, 6% of them have tried to commit suicide. Stress. Uncertainty. Confusion, unsettled, bewildered, no solutions. Drugs aren't going to help it because when you get off your drug trip, you come back to the same stupid reality. You're lost, you're undone, and the devil's making a fool out of you. How do you get rid of that? You can't, except through Jesus. Jesus, I've heard all that stuff. You haven't heard anything. Have you all ever been here before? Good. Jesus said in our wonderful verse, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll get to it in our studies on that subject, but verse 25, He said, Take no thought for your life. Listen to this. Jesus gave us it, said, Take no thought for your life. Would that include your health and your protection? Now, take no thought means don't worry about it. What are we going to do? You're going to trust the Lord with all of your heart and... Lean not to your own understanding. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Verse 32 he says, Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of some of these things. Aren't you glad he said, All these things? All these things. Listen to it. He goes on to say, All the things the world is seeking after, your Father knows you have need of these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, if He will add these things to us, then why am I worried that they're not added to me? Will He do what He said or not? Will He? How many of you have been here in this church before? Did God say that He watches over His Word to perform it? Did He not say that He was not a man that He should lie? If He said it, He will do it. And He said, look, you just seek first the kingdom of God and His right ways, and all these other things the world's seeking after will be added to you. Well, what about the future? Listen to what the last thing He said. He said, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself what am I supposed to do? I cast all my cares. What's care? Worry. Anxiety. I cast an act of my will. I cast. I roll off of me over onto the Lord what I'm worrying about or what I'm troubled about. I can't even tell you how many in the last... 30 years, how many physical symptoms have come and gone from my body? Each one of them was deadly. That's what your mind said. This is the big one. This is the big one. You poor thing. Oh. And I found that for the last, all these years, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Because what came up came from the devil. He was there to sift you like a dog would shake a rag out in the yard. And you resist the devil, as James said, by faith. You've got to believe what you've heard. If you are hearing the truth, you will hear about solutions to anything and everything in your life. If you're only taught to be happy and and be comfortable, you will lose all your battles. You'll join the world in the divorce courts. You'll join the world in the welfare lines. You'll join the world in the woe is me line. You'll be just like them, no different, no testimony, no light. But it's when you begin to make application of God's promises in your life, when you begin to refuse to give in to your worries. I refuse to take thought from my life and my body I refuse to think that the devil has free access to my body. When he comes, I start fighting and he has to go because if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's what God said. You got to cast all your care upon him. Do this. In 1 Samuel 30, David and his men had just come back from a victory when they got back to Ziklag where they were, it was burned. The tents burned, everything was burned, their wives and their kids were gone. They'd been captured. They lost everything. The men that followed David spoke of stoning him because they were all grieved in their heart. The Bible said the souls of the men were discouraged. We've done all this work with serving God and fallen King David, the harpist, the great king of Israel, and, and here we've lost everything. Man, if we hadn't have gone this way and believed this old faith message, we wouldn't have been here. The Bible said the souls of the people were distressed. Distressed. What does distress mean? Well, I looked it up, and it indicates a state of anxiety, fear, and frustration in many different situations. Distress. I would say, based on that, we live in a distressed world. And the drug companies love it. Just don't listen to the side effects at the end of the commercial. One the other day said talked about you could have a heart attack or a stroke if you take this drug, but at least you'll sleep at night or whatever. Yeah, you might not wake up either. The soul of all the people was grieved, for the people spoke of stoning David because the people were grieved. Grieved uh, in, as, as in a sense a harshness. They were angry and frustrated like people are today. Have there ever been a more angry society than this one? People are mad because they're stressed. They're full of uncertainty and worry and afraid they're going to lose. Somebody's going to take advantage of them. We're going to get sued. People don't even want you to walk across their property for fear that they might be sued if you fell down and hurt yourself. I have never known such a time. Of course, I have only lived in one time. It's such a state of affairs as today in the United States. Even the very property you think you're on, if they want it, somebody will get it legally. They have to ask you to take the tonsils out of your child, but they can take a fetus out of her body without asking you parents. How can this be? How can such a thing as abortion, abortion, you mean terminating just whatever they do? Yeah. How could you make that legal? How can you do that? How can men marry men or women? Where? What? See, all of us with white hair, we look at what's going on today and we go, What? How did this happen? Well, it has. It sure has happened. And it's going to continue on. But you know what David did in this situation? People were distressed, they were grieved. The Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, let me leave you with this today. David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's the word used in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 where God said to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Don't falter and don't fail. In other words, don't fall apart. Be strong as opposed to falling apart. Hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. Hold on. Just know in your heart, tell yourself, believe. Ask for assistance from God. He sends the Holy Spirit to help. To make you absolutely sure that God who spoke it is God who will do it. He will supply your need for him, for her. He will do that for food to eat. For food that won't kill you. The car will run. that He'll give you a better one or a new one that he can and he's able to. Don't fret about, oh, he's got a new one, I don't have a new one. So, does yours run yet? Well, praise God for it. Vacuum it out and wash it. Take care of it. Show God you're going to take care of it. Treat it like it's a gift or something. Praise God. Don't spit in it and throw your trash in it and walk away. Clean it up. Take care of it. Take care of your house. Take care of your furniture. Take care of your clothes. Take care of things. Be a good steward of what you've got. You asked God for it. He gave it to you. Take care of it. Mow your grass. That's part of your testimony, I suspect. I didn't say go out there and make that the issue. I'm just saying, look, you're a Christian. God has taken care of you. He'll take care of your tomorrows. Take no thought for the morrow. Finally, today, after this, another thing that is devastating to peace is Neglect. There'd be no peace in a valley for a Christian who is called Christian by name, but who neglects his call, his responsibilities. Can't do it. The word neglect, the Greek word amelio, from the very spelling of the word, a-m-e-l-e-o, melio, the word melio means to show concern for. You put an a in front of it, it means just the opposite. To not show concern for. You're here, but you're not concerned. You hear what's being said, but you're not paying attention to it. In other words, you neglect it. Turn to Hebrews 2. You're not paying attention to it. One of the great verses about neglect in the Scripture is in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, but let's get 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That means you're responsible to give heed, to pay attention to, to watch out for. That's your responsibility. God doesn't make you do that because He said they can slip. You can let them go. Listen to me. You can get so distracted in this world and so caught up in the things of this world that seem to be so good that you begin to neglect the assembling of yourself together and the hearing and being attentive to the Word happens all the time. Verse 2, For if the Word spoken by angels was steadfast, that would have been the, the law, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? Us here in Shelbyville, Kentucky. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How can you neglect so great a salvation? Is to assume and take for granted that whatever that means, you've got it. There's no need to add to it. Go to church. I did it all my childhood. I got baptized, and I was, I think, 11 years old, 1951. Got baptized in the first Christian church, and then I got to take communion every week. It never occurred to me. Nobody ever made much out of the fact that what the purpose of being here was and why we're here and what should happen while I am here. Somebody should teach me the way of God, and I should give heed to it. Nothing such was ever said that I remembered. If it was said, my little heart was so dark I couldn't hear a thing. How shall we escape if we neglect, if we're careless or not care for? God's salvation. Salvation is an all-encompassing word. It includes not only eternal life and going to heaven, but it also includes preservation, safety, and so forth, health in this life. To be saved is to be well. To be saved is to be eternally secure. To be saved means a lot of things. Most people have relegated salvation to just going to heaven, and therefore, in the meantime, there's nothing here for us, and we just cope with life as best we can. That's not true. That is a lie. Life and all of its difficulties surrounding you and trying to get... Yes, they are here. We don't deny that. But your salvation has provisions for everything you could face in this life, that you could face it successfully and, as the Bible said, be led daily in his triumph in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God this morning who gives us the victory, gives it to us. Whom should I be afraid? What should I fret about this morning? If God is for me, and if God is with me, what does it matter who's against me? Of course he's going to be against you. Jesus said they would. It's not going to be well out there. In Matthew 25, Jesus spoke in the wedding, made a great feast. And here's what it said. He said, go out and tell people to come in. The feast is ready. Go out and get them and bring them in. And in verse 2 of Matthew 25, the Bible says, they made light of it. Light is the same word as neglect. That's how you see the word neglect used in another way. They made light of it. they not really not that interested in it. I'm here. Be glad that I am here, but I'm not getting into all this. The Montgomery translation said they paid no attention to it. The modern King James Version said they were not caring. That is the verse that says they made light of it. They weren't caring. Williams New Testament said they gave no heed. They were here. They were in the atmosphere of it. They were surrounded by saints and let's just say the Word of God. And yet, they would hear a lot of things preached and said, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about that. Well, keep saying that and pretty soon none of it will be applicable to your life. Cause you see, when you say, I don't know about that, it also means you're not going to find out whether you should know something about that. It is so easy to let the word slip, to neglect such a great salvation. To not pursue, as the deer panteth for the water brooks, and the picture you see, they are pursuing after God and His ways, and the help you need from God to do that. It's easy to just let that slide. I'm doing all right. I go to church. We're in here with good people. Company's good. We're going to heaven. It's not a good attitude, because on your journey to heaven, you got a life to live, you have got a devil to face, you've got a victory to win. What's the song say? There's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won every hour by my power. No. By thy power, I'll go through. You ever heard that song? I'll go through, precious Jesus, I'll go through. Mm -hmm -hmm. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever been here before? (laughs) Finally, what about the man that built his house upon the sand? Did he neglect the fact that anything built upon sand is unstable well he had been told that he knew that he was a builder you wouldn't build a house as you were a builder he knew that building on sand was not good but you know after all who said it's going to rain I mean I know a lot of houses built on sand hey they're all right. they do good people still living in them they haven't died man you right wingers are so overbearing but it did happen And the fall of the house was great, and the man lost everything because he neglected to do what he should have done. It happens to Christians in a similar way all the time. It should not, but it does. Well, turn to Luke 14. I want to close. Luke 14 and verse 18. This is why we neglect... This is what happens when people begin to neglect their salvation, neglect the life you're supposed to live, neglect their responsibilities, when they begin to neglect spiritual things. Boy, I, I can think of so many things. People pass by me, and I think of people I once knew that did so well, it seemed, and now you look at them today, and they're almost destitute and not even believing like they used. I think, what Happened? Did you begin to take for granted everything you've heard is going to be all right? Or did it not work for you and you lost interest? Is that why you've neglected to pursue the Lord or get to the bottom of what something means or search the scriptures to see what's true? Have you neglected your responsibility to equip yourself and to learn and renew your mind? Nobody can do that for you. That's your responsibility. If you don't do that, you'll never know what's right or wrong, will work or won't work. You'll always have an idea, a theory, or an opinion, but you'll never know. And you'll be back to that anxious person with no peace. But if you're neglecting the Word of God, you're experiencing a lack of peace right now, today, as I speak. Because these anxiety things are starting to creep back in. I don't know about that. I know, I know, I heard all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. but I don't know about that. Well, here's what happens in verse 18. When the call is gone out, come, hear the Word of God, as Mary did, sit and hear the Word of God. And They all with one consent begin to do what? They begin... To make excuses. Sometimes I think victims are the best excuse makers. That my excuses signal me out as a victim. Well, I would, but you know, and he wouldn't, and I couldn't, and she said, and I don't know. If it hadn't been for the preacher talking about that stuff, I would have probably done all right. But you know, he got on Christmas and and said the Santa Claus wasn't real. I, you know, he just there, there's just no reason for that. I can't believe Jesus called Herod a fox. I, I just can't imagine why he would call him a fox. Or these religious men call him a bunch of hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. I mean, come on, that's not love. Why are you all so quiet now? Have you ever been here? What did Felix say to Paul when he began to reason with him about the gospel? He said, Paul, Paul, I mean, he began to tremble. He said, at a more convenient time, some other day, whoo, back away. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 27, a section that's used several times in the Bible, the Bible said concerning people who begin to neglect the Word of God, He said, and this people's heart is waxed gross. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears. But they can't hear. Instead of the heart being enlightened to embrace the wonderful promises and provisions of God, it has waxed gross. It's full of the world and the accolades of the world and the applause of the world, rich and famous. And the world says, you really did good until you died. And then you died and that beggar beat you to heaven. You didn't go. The people you didn't scorn and people who sat on the front row and listened, you said, religious people, they made it. They made it. Well, what will keep you from having peace in your valley here this morning? We should all have peace. Peace is a great judge of your heart. Whatever's in your heart, if you're peaceful about what to do about it, it'll rain there and you'll say, praise God i trust the Lord. I've been taught how to trust the Lord. I went to church. I went to church when he was teaching on trusting on the Lord. I actually took a note. actually went home and looked at it. And lo and behold, the Spirit of God made me see that. I'd never seen it before. And now I'm trusting God. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. For God has got in His hands... His love is such that if he sees a falling sparrow, then he knows the hair's on my head. Do you have peace? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we desire your peace this morning. It comes in a way that you give and you describe in the Word. Help us to describe that, to understand that, and to share that. Not only with each other, but with our families and our children, our friends. Let us be little messengers, Lord, little purveyors of peace. Let us carry the joy of the Lord to the world. Let others see the peace that we have and take note of it. God, deliver us from being negative, worrying people. Lazy and incompetent Christians deliver us. Help us to know what a high call and a wonderful privilege we have to walk with Jesus in this world and to have Jesus in us, guiding us. Dear God, we need that. Those of us that are older and for our young people and our children, we pray for a mighty influence of your Spirit in our lives and our hearts. So strong that we would never turn back, turn away, but that we would stand fast in the truth you've given us. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Amen. God will make a way where well, there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side. Grace and faith. for each today. He will make a way. He will make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see. He will make a Be my guide, hold me closely to His side. Grace and strength for each day He will make.